We'll be in Galatians chapter 3 again this morning. I'm going to read from chapter 3, verse 1 down through verse 9. Paul writes, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he then who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations shall be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Let us pray. Father, it is true what we have just sung, that should our zeal know no respite, should our tears know no turning off, it would not be enough, it would not be worthy of being called your children. Only by the cross of Christ, only by his work, only to the cross we cling. So we ask, Father, that we would come before you as you have called us to yourself as Christians. Every day we would come before you the same way, by faith, looking to Jesus, our Savior, our, our head. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Galatians 3, verse 6. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. This quotation is from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. But it arrives almost... I believe as abruptly in Galatians 3 as it does in Genesis 15. The Galatians were being asked by Paul in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3 to look at their own experiences. Look at your life. Look at what happened to you. How did you come to faith? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? In other words, did you work for it or did you receive it by hearing with faith? Have you begun being begun by the Spirit or are you now being perfected by the flesh? Then he turns to Abraham. It's almost as if he asks us, consider Abraham. Have you thought about him? Those who were coming against the Galatian believers, those whom I term the agitators, said that righteousness is found by being a child of Abraham. It was very important to them that they link themselves to Abraham. 
But they added that a child of Abraham also must take upon themselves obedience to the law, what is called the Torah. And perhaps they would argue with Paul and say, yes, we, we go back to Genesis as well. We go back to chapter 17, verse 10, where it says, Every male among you shall be circumcised. In other words, they looked at the child of Abraham as those who would be of the faith of Abraham, yes, but also taking upon themselves obedience to the law and to the ceremony and conjunction or the word of God to Abraham that every male would be circumcised in order to be in the kingdom of God. This morning as we look at this passage, it is almost all, I would say, by way of introduction. I call it a, a theological doorway because, I, as I said last week, verse 6 here, again, it's kind of abrupt. It takes us off guard, at least as I read that most of the people that Paul is speaking to here were Gentiles who had come to faith in Christ. And they were being agitated, they were being provoked, I think, to think differently or to being persuaded, as Paul calls it, by another gospel to become Jewish in order to become fully Christian. And this verse, uh, as some have called it, a gents, uh, that Roman God that had two faces, looking back and also looking forward, that doorway into the greater theological discussion that Paul wants to bring. The argument, I believe, goes from chapter 3, verse 7, to chapter 4, verse 7. And I believe that it can be encapsulated in this phrase. Abraham's children, through incorporation into Christ, by faith. That he not only looks at who are Abraham's children, or as one author says, whose father is Abraham, but he looks at the incorporation of the Gentiles into the faith of Abraham, but it is by faith alone, not by works of the law. But the question that many bring up is, can Paul do this? Can he apply New Testament treatment to an Old Testament passage? Can he look at Genesis 15:6 and apply it to New Covenant justification of the Gentiles in Galatia? How, how does he get there? Well, Genesis 15, remember, begins with a prophecy. It starts with the language of prophecy. And the word of the Lord came to Abram before his name was changed to Abraham. And near the end, when the passage, Genesis 15, shows us that great, um, what we call the covenant, the cutting of the covenant, where God cuts the animals and spreads them out in a path and walks through them, it says, 
And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. This day that he appeared to him in a vision, this is the day on which he made a covenant with Abraham. But I think it's healthy, good for us to note what is not in Genesis 15 before we look at what is in there. Those of you who took the Thursday night class with Chuck know that in the beginning of that lesson we talked about what's not there. What is not in Genesis 15 that appears later, yes, in some of these things in Genesis 17, but in Genesis 15 there is no mention of circumcision, which was one of the arguments that they agitators were using against the Galatians and their understanding. What is not in Genesis 15 is any mention of the law. There is nothing about law-keeping. In fact, Paul is going to go on to remind his readers and hearers that the law came 430 years later. And what is not mentioned in the way I believe that we understand it is that it's, it's not really a covenant because there are not two people who are cutting the animals and walking through. There is only one. And I believe, again, in our Thursday night study, we said, no, technically this is not a covenant. This is a promise because it is from God and God alone. But what is here is the prophecy to Abraham. What is here is the essence of faith. What is here, and most of all, what is here is grace. Early on in my Christian life, when I was, I guess, what they used to call in the Christian circles, I walked in in college was... They would call me a baby Christian. And one of the questions I would hear people ask as a baby Christian was, can you find grace in the Old Testament? I dare you. Well, there is grace in the Old Testament. There is grace in chapter 15 of Genesis. Salvation is not a cooperative event. It comes by faith because it is all of God. It is God's doing, it is God's idea, but it does not involve man, again, that striving, that zeal, that working. It does not involve us really at all. It is of God. Three points I believe that the theologians and scholars would bring out as to how Paul can take this Old Testament idea of justification and apply it to New Testament, New Covenant believers. First is his discussion of, of faith. And, and what is faith? Well, we might define it as to regard as trustworthy, to have trust in or to believe in. And in Genesis 15, this is the first time 
that phrase is used in Scripture of anybody. It was that disposition with which Abraham responded to the promises of God. And Abraham did respond to promises of God even before God says of him in the Scriptures that it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He responded when God said, get up out of the Ur of the Chaldees and go to the land that I will show you. He had that disposition to obey. And yet, what's not in view in Genesis 15 is obedience tapped on to that faith. It's not because he obeyed. He had that disposition. He had that trust. While obedience to God is part of the Christian life, the text does not have in that in view, I believe, either in Genesis 15 or Galatians 3. One of the scholars, a man by the name of Delips, says this, quote, that state of mind, faith is, that state of mind that is sure of its object and relies firmly upon it. Abraham's hope was in God. His the object of his face was where he was looking. His eyes were focused on God and His promises. Secondly, we see the language that gives us some pause and trouble, the language of crediting, that it was credited to him as righteousness, or reckoned to him, as some versions say. And simply, what, what does the word mean in the Hebrew it has the idea of placing something to someone's account. As if someone, <laughs> wouldn't we like, would place money in your account for you. You didn't earn it. You didn't ask for it. It was given. And the language rules out in this crediting idea all the efforts and contributions of Abraham. Again, that's, that's not in view in the text in the language of the scripture. Faith is not an achievement of man. It was credited to him. It was placed in his account. <clears throat> By God's way of crediting, Abraham's faith is equivalent to righteousness. But what is righteousness? Well, again, Paul can use that word in the language of what is right, the total right response and full conformity that God demands of his people. The author Douglas Moo says, quote, it was Abraham's faith that God regarded as having met the standard that God expected of his people. It was credited to him, it was given and placed in his account and what was it that he had that right response, that he conformed his life to that which God demands? And yes, I will grant that in chapter 3 of Galatians, it is a hermeneutical chapter. And what is hermeneutics? Well, it's the study of the methodological principles of interpreting writing here interpreting the Bible. 
And if we were to try to follow Paul, and you know something about this now from our, our weeks together, is that he's not speaking in a strictly logical point one, point two, point three outline with subpoints A and B and everything neatly tied up in a bow and presented as a package. Paul has a string of words that it's almost, it's not the stream of consciousness that you hear from, from some of these comedians. It just goes all over the place. There is logic in that. But one path we might follow through Galatians 3, Paul talks about faith. And then as we see here in verse 6, that reminds him, oh, the faith of Abraham. But when he speaks of Abraham, he thinks of the blessing of Abraham. And that blessing says, oh, it's because he believed the promises of God. But the promises of God makes him think about, well, you know, there are the promises of God, but there's also the curse of the law. And the curse of the law brings him back to the promises of the Spirit versus the keeping of the law. And so we kind of go around and back, and we don't always see this, as we would wish, nice and neat little outline that helps me as a preacher to say, okay, here are three points, here is the, here is the outline. How do we speak of these things? But Paul also weaves another thread and path through here. He speaks of faith. And that faith reminds him of the seed of woman. Of the seed that is singular, he calls it. Not the seeds, plural, but the seed, which is Christ. Which makes him think of, oh, well, who inherits? Who, who comes from this? Who are the heirs of this thing which say, oh, if there's an heir, there must be a promise. There must be something to inherit, which brings him back to union with Christ. And so we have all of these things going on here. And when he says, again, in my thinking of it, consider Abraham, it may have been a surprise to the Galatian Gentile believers. Abraham, why are we talking, you were talking about us. And how we came to Christ. How we were saved. What, what happened to us that we received God. And that he brought these things. He provided the spirit to us. And now you're talking about Abraham. But it was no surprise to the Jewish believers. Those agitators who were believers in Christ, I think. But were saying, yes, but... There is something to add on. Nine times Paul refers to Abraham, and they would have had a connection. They do count Abraham as their father. And he is foundational to Paul's view, and I think that's really at the heart of, of Galatians, and the thing that I think that has made the most for, for my study is that we're trying to understand Paul's view of redemptive history. But what we also have going on here, Paul is not simply speaking to those Galatian believers, but he's also giving a polemic. And I had to look up exactly what a polemic involves, but it is an aggressive attack on or a reputation of opinions and principles. 
He's on the attack against the agitators as much as, and in addition to instructing the believers that he says, my children, with whom I would again be in pains of childbirth to see you grow up in Christ. And so we have both of those things going on here again, which makes it difficult to understand the logic and the hermeneutic and how he puts these things together. Those who said that the Galatian believers could become sons of Abraham said that it had to be by tradition and by practice of keeping the law of God, <coughs> keeping Torah, as it is sometimes said. But I will remind you that Paul was not the first one to attack the Judaizers or the agitators. Jesus was not the first one to attack the Judaizers or the agitators. In Matthew chapter 3, we hear these words. And do not suppose, the speaker says to the Pharisees and the scribes, that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Author, John the Baptist. It is by faith come to Christ. It is by faith, but that faith is the faith of Abraham. It is not those who are physical descendants of Abraham, those who would have his physical DNA. It is those who have his spiritual DNA who are sons of Abraham. So if we were to summarize what this section is about, I would use these words, a quote from a man, I'm quoting someone who quoted him, I do not know D.I. Starlin, but I think it was a very succinct summary of where Paul is headed. He said, quote, Isaiah's inheritance of the Abrahamic promises comes only in Christ, only together with the Gentiles, and only by faith. Only in Christ, only with the Gentiles, only by faith. This is Paul's polemic. This is Paul's explanation of where he's headed. And I want to look briefly at those three again as we kind of look at an introduction to this section. First, any inheritance that we or anyone else would have with Abraham includes the Gentiles. Verse 8 of your passage in chapter 3. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. It's not two different things. It's not this plus that. It's not that he would justify the Gentiles and the gospel was preached. It seems the language and the structure says that they mean an identical action. God justifying the Gentiles is essential to the gospel. And that gospel was announced ahead of time to Abraham with the promise that he would bless all the nations in him. 
It's not by association with Abraham, but it's by Abraham's seed identified with Christ that matters. That is the good news. That is what was preached. And we can talk about that because the scripture wasn't even written at the time of Abraham. And yet we see that the word of God is personified. That it is the living God with his living voice speaking to men. So how does God and our Paul uh, view the Galatians? Well, salvation includes a wider scope than we sometimes think about. It is participation and fellowship that we have in the body of Christ. Those who are sons of Abraham. Plural. Fellowship and participation. We use that word koinonia. And I think that is part of what is in view here. If you go on in chapter 3, you will come down to verses 26 through 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Note that Paul uses the all y'all. It's not just y'all, but all y'all. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ. We are members of one body, even Christ. There is, as Paul says, neither Jew nor Greek. That does not enter the equation in Galatians 3. It does not enter the equation in Genesis 15. As I like to say, remember, Abraham wasn't a Jew. He was a pagan. He was called out of one of the, as David in his commentary this morning even says, one of those places that had a very bad reputation. So Paul says to us, consider Abraham. If you believe, the blessings will come in Abraham. He was rich. Yes, he had lots of cattle, he had lots of money, he had lots of servants. But what was he really rich in? He was rich in faith. Are you a believer? You are rich in faith. You are rich in blessings. You are rich in confidence in your creator, in your sustainer. Consider Abraham if you are a believer. Paul would say to the Jewish agitators, if you have inheritance with Abraham, it is only by faith. Verse 7 makes it very clear. Therefore be sure, it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. There are not two ways to God. There is only one, and it is by faith. Sons, for sons of Abraham, it would be faith that secures their right status before God. And who are the sons of Abraham? Again, not those by physical descent, but those whose identity is derived from faith. Or those whose relationship to God is determined by faith. Consider Abraham. What was true of Abraham? Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. What was true of Abraham must be true of all who belong to him. Righteousness that comes by faith, credited to your account.
consider Abraham. And the third thing Paul would say to those agitators, if you believe that you have inheritance with Abraham, it is only in Christ. There is a theological key to all of this foregoing discussion. It's what Herman Ritterboss in his commentary calls, quote, the big assumption. And Paul gets to it at the end of chapter 3 in 26 through 29. But he states it also in Romans chapter 4, which is closely related to his discussion in chapter 3 of Galatians. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. The punishment God demands for sin. The punishment that God demands for those who rebel against Him, who are at enmity, who are enemies of God by nature, was endured by Jesus Christ on the cross. So what is Paul's key to all this? We must be in union with Christ. It is only in Christ that we are sons of God. Are you in Christ? Then you are a son of God, a son of Abraham. Are you baptized into Christ? You have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Consider Abraham. Do you belong to Christ? You are children of Abraham. You have the same spiritual DNA. You have Abraham's righteousness. You have Abraham's gospel. You have Abraham's blessing. As Paul says, therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Let us pray. Our Father, we do ask that You would help us to understand these things. Father, help us to cling to that good news, that gospel of righteousness by faith. Help us to walk in that manner that pleases You, knowing these things are not of us, but of You. That it is not a cooperative event but it's something that you have given us freely in Christ. Father, we rejoice, and yet we ask that you would continue to cleanse us, to make us holy, to make us righteous, that we might walk with you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you please rise for the benediction from the end of that Galatians chapter 3. The final two verses. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ. Then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise.